everybody. Welcome back to Lipstick and Lightsabers. I am Shannon. And I'm Alex. And today we have a very special episode for you guys. I actually sat down with MC from What the Force and we talked all about the Legends of Luke Skywalker. It was a really fun conversation. We're going to put that in for you guys. But first... We do have some news things to get to. Uh, First of all, housekeeping. You can always support the show. We have a coffee account. We have our shop. Uh, We've got all of our pride designs up. We're still donating to the Homeless Black Trans Women Fund with all of our pride designs. And you can send us your Star Wars stories. Uh, We've got the instructions for how to do that in the description of every podcast episode. And we also have a new voicemail system, which you can also find the link for down below. We really want to hear from you you guys we want to know what you're into what you're doing right now what how you got into star wars all of that kind of stuff but as for news um as of this episode coming out the afra audio drama should now be out yeah and i've heard a lot of good things about it from people who have advanced review copies so i'm very excited i just finished the 2015 vader run so i have finally Mm -hmm. read something about Afra. Yeah. <laughs> I really liked it. I'm I'm excited to learn a little bit more about her. The drama is her introduction, I believe, right? Yeah, like what you read? Mm-hmm. I believe so. Um I don't know if it goes further into like the Afra comic or the rest of the Vader run and um and she even like makes an appearance in the main Star Wars run in a in one of my favorite issues with her and Santa and Leia with the 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 jail breakout like that's like one of my favorite issues. Oh, that's so awesome. I know Santa's in it and I haven't gotten to her yet, so it must go a little bit deeper. Mm-hmm. I know Maz is in it as well. Well, I I don't know if it was in the comics you were reading, but there were um, some flashbacks. Maybe it's within Afra Run itself, but there were flashbacks to Afra's time in college and her, like, knowing Santa when she was younger and everything. Ooh, I'm excited about that. I, yeah, mm-hmm. I've heard so many good things. Like, um, people have been saying that, like, the writing is really on point, the performances are really on point. So I'm super excited for this. Um not sure where I'm gonna listen. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll find it. And um, and the great thing is, like, Afra is making this jump into a new type of medium, which, like, I think everyone's kind of been asking for more Afra comment uh, content. Like, there, there's like everyone just loves her, and like, I'd love to see her in a TV show or see her in a movie. Like, I there, there's there's so many places that this character can go. Yeah, I kind of think, like, just seeing from, like, what I've seen of Afra, like, she would make for, like, a really cool show, whether it was, like, live oh, action yeah. and, like, doing some kind of crossover or if it was animated. Like, Oh, my gosh, yeah. She has such cool adventures, <laughs> and, like, she's got two murder droids that are hilarious. Yeah, they're really hilarious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know what Triple uh, Zero is supposed to sound like, but to me, any protocol droid is Anthony Daniels. <laughs> So that was just yeah. really, really funny to read. But speaking of TV shows, um, we did get a new animated series announced. Uh, it's not Afra, It's the Bad Batch. <laughs> the Bad Bitch. Yay! <laughs> so uh, what was your reaction when you heard about the Bad Batch coming to Disney Plus? Um, well, there were rumors about it a few weeks prior to it being announced. So I feel like I already felt 
my thoughts about it when that rumor was going around. And for me, The Bad Batch is not my Star Wars. And, and like, that, that, like, that's fair because not everything that Star Wars is going to make is, like, for me. Because, like, to keep everyone interested, you're going to have a lot of different kinds of content. So, like, on one hand, I'm like, this isn't really for me. But also, Dave Filoni. I do love Dave Filoni. I feel like with Dave, like, he's not going to tell a story that isn't worth telling. Yeah. So, like, there's got to be something to I, it. I was, I was also thinking about how, like, the Bad Batch that we saw in the last season of Clone Wars was kind of something old that a lot of people had previously, like, watched the animatics for and everything. So they knew what they were getting for the most part, where this is, like, a totally new story, so no one really knows what we're getting. It's set in a new era. It's post-66. Um, so a lot of people are calling this, like, season eight of the Clone Wars, basically. Um which I do, I do think it has potential to be that. Like some people yeah. have been theorizing about like characters that might appear or like cameos and that kind of stuff. So like I'm, I'm more interested knowing that it is like post sixty six and like I have the the Star Wars article yeah. pulled up. It says finding their way in a rapidly changing galaxy in the immediate aftermath of the Clone mm-hmm. War. They're going to be going on missionary missions. So it's going to be interesting. It's like, a really great era. Yeah, it's a cool era, like, Jedi mm -hmm. Fallen Order. Yeah, exactly. Could you, like, imagine seeing, um, what's the Junker planet called that we start Fallen Order on? Like, I love that planet, like, that whole idea, like, seeing that, or, or we might see, like, there's so many different, like, planets we could see and, like, crossover that were hints to Fallen Order, the events of, like, of all of that, um, the Inquisitors, like, they're gonna be there. Um, Yeah, the rise of the Inquisitors is really interesting. That's, like, a really interesting bit of Star Wars. Yeah. Like, I I think the early building of the Empire is pretty interesting. Like, even seeing some of that, like, in the Vader comics, just kind of how that's going on Mm -hmm. is pretty cool. So, like, there's definitely, like, a lot of potential here. I've even seen some people talk about Kira and, like, some, like, syndicate stuff could be in this as well. I don't know how deep that would be, but... Would it be as late as Crimson Dawn? No. It would be, like, earlier on, like, with what's-her-face, Proxima. Yeah. Which could be cool. Seeing Proxima in this could be cool. That would be interesting. I guess it depends on how far it's gonna go. Because I guess potentially it could go all the way up to Rebels, because there's no show in between. That's a lot of years. I just don't know. That's a lot of years. That is lifetime. (laughs) that's a long time um i know like my big worry is that obviously there's not any women in the bad batch yeah i think that like we're both super intrigued by the era but it's the point of view they're deciding to tell this story from which is the turnoff for me yeah we will have to wait and see um I mean, the behind-the-scenes people, like, there are a lot of women working on this yeah. show. A lot of people who did Resistance are going to be on this show. So, I don't know. Like, it it could be really cool. I think, like, we've learned with Star Wars not to judge it before you see it. You know, like, with Mandalorian, it was a lot mm-hmm. better than we thought it was going to be. 
So I've also seen some people like theorize there being like a ship amongst the Bad Batch. And I'm like super interested in that if they were to go that route. I mean, I think it would be ridiculous to say that the that the clones don't fall in love with each other at some point. But will they go for it is the question. (laughs) We know how Star Wars is with any kind of anything. (laughs) So I don't know. But that is going to come out. um, It's supposed to come out in 2021. So probably after the second season of The Mandalorian. Well, I'm wondering if it's going to be around the same time they released The Clone Wars Season 7, like February. That would make sense. I bet they were Mm going to show... Like, maybe a trailer at, like, um, Celebration. Or even announce it at Celebration, and now, obviously, they just announced it now. Yeah. So, do you have any recs that you've been reading or watching to deal with this quarantine? you put down Not So Pure and Simple, and I'm in the middle of that, and it is very good. So, I think that's both of our rec. Um, Yes. What else? A Song of Race and Ruin was amazing. So good. Um, what do both of these books have in common? Baby boys. <laughs> um, let's think. What else have we been watching? We, we watched a bad movie yesterday. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I have to. Okay. So, like, Alex sent me a message yesterday, and she was like, I found this movie. It's called Dance Off, and it sounds super Raylo. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and it was so bad. <laughs> but, like, the dancing was really good. I think it was, like, the worst movie we've watched together. It just, like, I, it was good for a laugh. Like, I was like, Yeah, like, I mean, I watched a couple movies yesterday. I watched Chalet Girl with Felicity Jones. How was that? Not good. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's fun to watch Baby Felicity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I watched A Simple Favor, which completely turned into a different movie than I was expecting. Oh, it's real weird. Yeah. It was weird. I hadn't realized that you hadn't seen no, it. No, I hadn't seen yeah. it. And it, I was, like, delightfully surprised when Henry Golding showed up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dad Henry Golding. Like, oh my super God. sexual Dad Henry Golding. <laughs> it's it's great. It's mm-hmm. I mean, I recommend it. It's weird. That reminds me, in. you know what we need to watch? That Amelia Clark Christmas movie. Yes, that's streaming now. I'm pretty sure. Probably. Yeah. Yeah, we'll report back next episode if that movie was good. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> oh, wait, wait. I'm going to hate myself if I don't mention this, but there's a new Jordan Fisher movie coming out. <gasps> yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, both Shannon and I are extremely excited. Yes. It comes out August 7th on Netflix. He's going to teach somebody how to dance properly. It has to be better than Dance Off. Like, listen. Oh, yeah, it's 100% going to be better than Dance Off. The trailer yes. looked really good. Yes. <laughs> okay, so I think with that, uh, we will go into Legends of Luke Skywalker with Marie Claire. Yay! Can't wait to listen. 
So welcome to our discussion of the legends of Luke Skywalker. And I could think of no other person that was better suited to this task than my good friend Marie Claire from What the Force. Hi, Shannon. How are you today, MC? <laughs> I'm I'm good. I I I was like squeeing earlier, but now I'm in like full analytical mode. So you're I, I will get excited through the course of this show, probably, but I'm trying to get your, you know, you can't start with your eyebrows raised all the way up or there's no That's room true. for you to get it even more excited. So I'm going to try to keep myself pretty low key in the beginning here until we get to the parts where I'm like, yeah, you know, <laughs> you are basically the reason I decided to read this book. Like, I, I remember when you talked about it, like way back when on your show, and I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. But I always told myself that I wouldn't like it because I'm not like the biggest Luke Skywalker fan. But it keeps coming back. And like you'd mentioned it again. And I'm like, you know what? Fine. I'm going to give it a shot. And it blew my mind. So tell me yeah. a little bit about like your first time reading this book. Okay. So <laughs> I was, well, so like I was a baby podcaster, right? So I had just you know, watched The Last Jedi, couldn't shut up about it, just started to be like, hey, I'm going to start a podcast. I start a podcast and I'm like, you know, I haven't been keeping up with as much canon stuff as I've wanted to. I really should, you know, get back into reading the books since I'm going to be talking about more things. Like I had kept up with it, but I, I hadn't made a concerted effort to like, you know, consume everything, which, mm -hmm. you know, if you're going to talk about Star Wars, you kind of got to know what the environment is like. And so I started because Legend, The Last Jedi had come out. I was like, you know, I'm going to read the journey to uh, The Last Jedi because, you know, that's a series of books that come out in the lead up to each movie. They have like a journey to set of books that comes out and it's from different publishers. Like this one is actually from Disney Lucasfilm Press rather than say Delray, because it is actually a uh, middle grade novel. It is massively large. The <laughs> illustrations are beautiful. The audiobook is spectacular, um, which is, you know, um, the audio is by January Lavoie. She's my favorite, like, audiobook narrator. She she in this book she does like Luke so well and she's done like Luke and Leia and like all of these famous characters. And she she does it. She plays all of these characters in this book. It's just it's brilliant. Um, so yeah, I was I was trying to catch up on stuff. So I I got the book on digital form first. So just you know, kind of setting expectations here. So like the the illustrations were not super clear because like you could kind of see them, but like you can actually focus on them in the physical version of it. And I read the book, and I remember like going through this kind of like thought process with it and being like this book can't be real this book exists <laughs> and then I got to one particular story in the book and I read the story four times like right like back to back because I said I can't believe this story exists in in star in star wars and and like it's all on brand with Star Wars. It is exactly what Star Wars is, but I'd never seen it framed this way. 
And so what I had done, and again, I was still like, I had only been podcasting for two months at the time that I had read this book. I steeled my nerve and I was like, I'm going to try to find Ken Liu and see if he'll come on the show. And I emailed him that week after not being able to stop thinking about this book. And I asked him to come on the show. He said, yes, but I'm trying to finish a book right now. Could we make it, you know, for two months out when I finish this book? And I said, absolutely. You're so brave. <laughs> well, I I originally was like, I should do an episode on this. And actually, it's like literally my husband who's like, stop talking about it and just ask him to be on the show and then yeah. talk to him about it. And I'm like, okay. And so when I say that, like the legends of Luke Skywalker, this book really defined my journey as a Star Wars fan, but also as a podcaster. I mean, it made me brave in that I reached out to Ken Liu and like, that was my first major interview with a Star Wars creator. Mm -hmm. Like what a one to have. And I do recommend, (laughs) I do recommend everybody go back because Ken is one of the most brilliant people I've ever spoken to. Yeah, that is a really good interview because I remember listening to that episode and it just like blowing my mind. And he was recently on the new like Star Wars show book club Um, Mm -hmm. and just like hearing him talk about this book is really fascinating. Yes. And like hearing him talk about any topic like he he was at a library like conference online conference and I attended and he was talking about like collective myth making and telling stories that are fairy tales and I was like oh Ken just talk to me forever <laughs> you're speaking and I've had- to my soul <laughs> exactly and I've had the opportunity to have him come back on the show and we talked about uh, myth making and myth and it- that was mind-blowing as well like he is a very smart and articulate person who thinks about the craft (laughs) and then can articulate that back, you know? So like he, he, he was consciously aware of the decisions that he was making. And yet also when you look at the book, if you have a different interpretation, he also loves that too. The thing about this, because this is an anthology book, it's a collection of six stories. It is connected by one narrative within the interludes, but normally it is a, with anthology, it's a frame story. It's a yes, frame it a story, frame and that's important. Story. Yes, yes, it's very important because, <laughs> like, normally with books like this, it's going to be told from like a couple of different authors. The stories may or may not be connected. Um, I think about the um, how that book, Myth and by- Legends. Myth and Legends, Myth yes, because, you know, yeah. those were kind of by hit George or miss. Mann? Yeah, by George Mann, because um, they weren't all connected. Some were better than others. With this one, even though technically you could say that, like, not all the stories are true, not even all of them have Luke Skywalker in them, they feel so connected and they feel like they're all doing such different things. And I really think that does come from Ken Liu, like, really just, like, digging down and, like, wanting to tell, like this complex story yeah and it's um it's incredibly metatextual oh for sure. you know it un it's it's self-aware it understands what it's trying to do also it jokes at itself a little tiny bit too it's like hee hee isn't this funny wink nudge but not in a in a, in a last jedi kind of way definitely 
Definitely. you know, it's it's self-aware and a left. It, it 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 is the perfect companion, in my opinion, is the Last Jedi, as much as the Last Jedi novelization is. But this one actually helps you understand Star Wars better. That was literally my takeaway from this book. Like this to me is like mm-hmm. the quintessential book that had to come out before of Star Wars. Yeah. That is like of Star Wars and especially yeah. like leading up to The Last Jedi. Because this informs you so much of like where Luke is at, of like how that movie was gonna go. Like it kind of amazes me that it flies under the radar a little bit. <laughs> I see people talk about it, but not nearly as much. Except for me. Except for you, yeah. <laughs> see you think it's kind well, of and, and like it's yeah, like I'm like I- have you not read the Legends <laughs> of Luke Skywalker? Yes. But also, like Amy Amy Surge, Sturges, um, who or Sturges, uh, Amy who does the the online course about the meaning of Star Wars. It's an entire section of her of her lecture. Wow, the book. I can see why my For episode sure. is rec- my 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 episode and interview with him is recommended like or um, additional reading or like materials for a university level course wow that's awesome (laughs) so like like when i say that it's fundamental to understanding star wars i really do mean that and in the best in the best possible way because it is literally star wars at its best and that's why i love it so much and um i have read it multiple times (laughs) Um, mainly because I, I actually just find a lot of comfort in it. I've listened to the audiobook, of course, because January Lavoie is amazing. It's like the perfect like symmetry between all of these different aspects. It's got beautiful illustrations. It's really well written. It 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 thinks about Star Wars in a different way, and it really does challenge you to see past just what's literally happening and if you're not ready for it it won't hit you in the right way it's really interesting because if you're not if you're not like kind of vibrating on that same plane of existence you'll just see it and be oh these stories are they real are they not real i don't understand and then suddenly you're like it's like i don't know what can i compare it to like people who like you know are they pick up the book the secret or whatever and finally get something out of it and they read it before and they're like uh you know it's kind of like that version of that yeah it just just finally like hits with you (laughs) and I think this is like a good time to kind of go into like what this book actually is because we touched on you know this is actually like a framed story Mm -hmm. like we're actually focused in on these group of kids that are on a ship they're on the way to Canto Bites um, which obviously you get to see in The Last Jedi and what I loved mm-hmm. about that is that it t- it really felt tied into the end of The Last Jedi with, like, Broom Boy, where it's, like, these stories mm-hmm. are meant to transcend. Like, it doesn't matter, like, what Luke Skywalker did or if this stuff is true. What matters is that, like, it's touched all these people. And I love as the story goes on, you really see, like, the power that that has. Yes. And that in and of itself is like part of the magic of the book. Yes. So one one thing that's really interesting is that they're not just kids on a ship that are like traveling to Canto Bight. They're deckhands and like father keepers mm-hmm. on the ship. So they're they're working kids that literally know 
the realities of the galaxy. They are afraid of the second in command of the ship who they feel will kill them if they get caught in the wrong place. They live with all of these like very harsher realities of existing without power in the universe. And the stories themselves help them escape the suffering of their day-to-day lives. And that is not something that is super focused on, but it is an important theme that is not actually like, they're willing to take risks to save others out of compassion because of their inspiration of Yes. And this book doesn't, hit you over the head with that fact one thing that i know that i feel about star wars middle grade is that sometimes they hit a little bit younger they don't hit like exactly that middle grade sweet spot and i feel like legends of luke Mm -hmm. is like perfectly middle grade the way that it's balanced the way that those themes hit the way that it's kind of trusting the reader to like kind of go along with it like i would definitely put this up there with like a Percy Jackson type of story in the way that these kids are taking things in the way that these stories are impacting them and like what they'll do as the story goes on. Absolutely. And it, it's much like Lego where, yeah, it's middle grade and up to 99, yeah. you know, like it, and, and my son who is not middle grade when I read it was not middle grade when I read it to him, I read it to him when he was in grade one and he loved it. Mm-hmm. He loved every aspect of it. So it works younger. I just think that like the the language that is used at certain parts is uh, a little bit more complex. And I actually spoke with Ken about that too. And I would like to go into it, especially in the lugubrious moat story. Oh, but the importance of the frame story actually helps you set expectations quite a bit with the story too. It's kind of like that rain of fire um, scene where you have the character of Quinn, which was Kristen Bale, and Creedy, which was Gerard Butler. Like, look at this movie. Uh, Reign of Fire was like post-apocalyptic. Dragons came back from (laughs) beyond and destroyed the world. And um, now everybody lives in castles. And they were telling this story of Luke and invader it's the famous scene where they're talking about you know oh you know you're my father and everything like that or no luke i am your father and and all the kids are like enthralled because they're acting it out and it just reminds me of that feeling of like discovering star wars for the first time and and discovering a new tale about star wars for the first time and just being full of wonder and the magic that is star wars and you feel that way when you are reading the book because you're reading it through the eyes of kids who are just blown away at these legends and are unsure if they're all real or not like you're absolutely right though like i i felt so like you know, I think we're in a time right now, especially after the rise of Skywalker, where a lot of people are kind of falling out of love with Star Wars or, you know, hashtag it's complicated, like that kind of stuff. This really helped like ignite my love for Star Wars because it just felt so like pure. It felt very like, look at this wonderful universe and like what it could do and like what it could mean it made me feel very very hopeful about like stories we could be getting like in the future if they're going to do more stuff like this it, it was just really nice mm-hmm. to feel good about star wars and you do actually have a note here uh about it all being female pov and it's close just, it's close it's very one close. character yeah 
Yeah, there's one character that tells the lugubrious moat story. A Gokolu, he is actually like a horn. When the horned aliens, I forget what they're called, but um, it it does classify him as a he. The flea is a she, isn't it? The flea is a she, yes. (laughs) The flea is a she. All the storytellers are women except for Gokolu. And... I, I pointed this out to Ken and I said, more than half of the storytellers are, are women or, or young girls or, you know, or droid who is question mark. And he, and he was like, oh, that's interesting. I didn't even realize I had done that. <laughs> but he has two young girls or two. Oh. I, they're probably a teenagers yeah. now. And he he very much thinks about his his girls when he writes stories and, and thinks about what they would like or what they did like when they were were kids and I do I do very much appreciate that perspective that reminds me of George doing um strange magic for his girls yeah Yeah, I really love that because I you know I came into Star Wars very late I didn't come into it until the sequel trilogy and so for me it was kind of like a guy thing or like I knew a lot of guys that were into it so it was really refreshing to see this like young female perspective like so heavily in this book um, especially when mm-hmm. you get into the first story with Mythbuster. Um, I think this story pokes fun at the like <laughs> the perceived notion of Star Wars. I would say like as yes. a fan on the outside, like, yes, this is kind of like how I saw Star Wars or how some people poke fun at Star Wars. And I think it was like a really good way to kind of like ease you into it. Yes. Um, Mythbuster, when I, <laughs> I just remember back to when I... I saw, like, I read this book the first time, and I remember thinking, okay, this story is going to be kind of, like, silly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, or the, or the the whole book is going to kind of be this, like, kind of tales, and they're going to be kind of, like, awkward things, and, and honestly, it's just literally to get the perceived notions, in my opinion, this is how I read it, and Ken might have a different a different perspective but he I think he um he, I I feel like this story in, in and of itself is to get the perceived notions of Star Wars out of the way to like get it out of our system to like shake it out like in an improv way act the most ridiculous way you possibly can or what what you think is the is the most <laughs> Star Wars thing that you can think of and this is not the first time he was written a story that's kind of been like this. Like he wrote the data work story in from a certain point of view. And that story in and of itself is so funny because it's literally based on a fandom argument about (laughs) what, why didn't they fire at the pod? Did they run out of lasers? And, and he took that preconceived notion that late laser bolts cost time and money because you have to do data work if you fire your gun Uh, you have to submit paperwork if you fire your gun so you don't want to have to do it if you don't have to do it Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's the whole notion of the story is like justifying not shooting a weapon at an empty ship Uh, so it's so like on another level because all of the discourse that came out of the last jedi about fuel Oh, man, if only he knew. Exactly, exactly. Like, honestly, he would write another story that would make fun of that. Because, you know, it's it's just, 
like not something that you necessarily need to worry about. Really, really. Do you need to worry about this? You know, I don't know. Yeah, well, it was like, I really think it, it's pointing at the fandom and kind of going like, you see these little things that you get hung up on. Like, it's okay if you do it like in a fun way. Like, I kind of think that like, it, this was the story that was telling you like, you don't have to take this too seriously. Like, it's gonna get, like, serious, and you can take it as seriously as you want to, but, like, Star Wars is also silly and fun. Like, you know, the Century Turkey and Babyface Luke. Like, it's fine to just mm-hmm, kind of take it mm-hmm. for what it is. Yeah. Also, uh, what I love is that each story ends with a moral yes. of the story. And, like, it's also saying, you know focusing on that is literally some people's form of fun so don't let it bother you too much yes for sure like I I just (laughs) man like when I got to that page it's like page 55 and he's talking about like I didn't correct this person because it would mean that my fear of my reputation meant more than like the story being told I'm like oh my gosh that is like the biggest point of Star Wars Mm-hmm. It just like the second I read that, I'm like, oh, this book's gonna be like next level, isn't it? <laughs> like, you just knew. Yeah, because I mean, we suspect actually that this person making this point is actually Luke Skywalker, yes. and there's a few hints throughout the book that that Luke Skywalker is actually in certain locations. One of them is the five red stripes mm-hmm. on his X-wing. And and it shows up throughout the book. It's it's just because, uh, you know, he was read five. And so that's I, the indication that he was actually there. I love the ambiguous nature of maybe Luke's in it or maybe he isn't. Because, like, technically, every story is about Luke Skywalker. But he's maybe yes. not always there. Like, in this one, he that was probably him in the background. And then you get into the second one and it's like, was that Luke at all? Because that one, you know, the Starship Graveyard mm-hmm. is about an Imperial. He thinks he sees Luke Skywalker pulling ships out of the sky. He thinks he's saved by Luke Skywalker. But you never really know if that was really him. Or maybe it was just somebody who was using his name to kind of inspire a little bit of hope. And I, this story, the, the Starship Graveyard, is fascinating to, like... Um, first it's, it's set on Jakku. And so we get a lot of feeling of, you know, what was scavenger like life like for Ray. And again, this came out before the last Jedi. So all we had was kind of the force awakens and it ties back and syncs up with, um, Chuck, Chuck uh, aftermath series really really well because it's kind of the same period of time same battle but from a different perspective you didn't really even need to know anything other than what happened in in legends of luke (laughs) for what happened other than there was a big battle imperial forces they felt like they were betrayed because suddenly they lost and this this story itself creates all sorts of conspiracy theories too like because they're like how did these ships fall yeah they're like how, you know, how did like, we lose why did they why is lose? this happening it, it reminded me too like in lost stars yeah. you get to see a little bit of the fight um on jakku as well yeah um i think that's still an unanswered question actually it is in in 
in Star Wars, that's still an unanswered question. How did the remnants of the Empire lose against the Rebels? Because they were, they outmatched them. I think it's answered a little bit in the Alphabet Squadron novels. Um, We get a little bit about Project Cinder and what exactly that was. Um, Palpatine was really long gaming this entire war mm-hmm. it's a shame that he's so dumb in the rise of skywalker um because he really had some big brain <laughs> ideas going on here um but <laughs> i just fe- feel like he uh i i i have no excuses i just <laughs> you know you you clone yourself that many times i suppose I mean, the there's gotta be some degradation to the brain, um, you know like stuff happens yeah. i i do like um you had mentioned seeing a little bit of early scavenger life. Um, I really think that this story informs why Ray is kind of removed from everything. I think a lot of people talk about how it hasn't mm-hmm. been that long. Like it hasn't been that long of a time. And yet she doesn't even know that Luke Skywalker is a real person. But like this Imperial official, Mm-hmm. his idea of Luke is also very skewed and also very larger than life, even though he's existing at a time when Luke, you know, is as well. And I think that's really informed by his only idea of the force has been Vader, most likely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, you know, um, they were warned about, they had a legend of Luke Skywalker probably within the, empire Mm -hmm. that's what we're hearing right they had a legend of luke skywalker that made him seem like a force god and from a meta perspective this is very much the version of luke skywalker that many people expected to see in the last jedi and they didn't get right so this this you know force god who was larger than life literally stood on the planet pulling ships out of the sky with the force that's what they many people wanted to see they wanted to see this very very powerful jedi that was like the pinnacle of everything that they had ever imagined well and later and he wasn't that in the last jedi. in later in the story you see him like lead this these group of people like a messiah like he's leading them across this like glass this molten mm-hmm. glass lake and he's telling them that he's luke skywalker and to believe in the force and it talks about, I think it's like 116. Um, they all like had this faith in him and it was more in the faith in like this mm-hmm. one person than in that they were going to make it across. And I think like this was mm-hmm. him saying like, this is the Luke that you want to see, but it's the idea that is like necessarily what matters. Like it doesn't matter if like Luke is this which obviously we see that he isn't in the last jedi what matters is that his legend and his name inspires people to fight yes and that sometimes the inspiration is what's important not necessarily how or why it happened yes yeah i i think so at the end of this story it says like we are all Luke Skywalker. Um, this man imagines himself as Luke Skywalker, which allows him to keep surviving. Mm-hmm. That hit so much differently than Ray declaring that she was a Skywalker. I, I feel like there's something in this book that like understood what that gesture was supposed to mean 
and it felt very meaningful like in this context do you assume that this person was a man i think so i think the the imperial officer is a man i don't know i i'm trying to remember um i might be confusing it with the uh with the manga which um the the manga version of so the the book itself had four of the stories made into like manga versions this one in particular is is just odd it, is very odd. <laughs> it actually has some extra stuff <laughs> like in the manga version that's all yeah. i I, I'm and going to... I couldn't actually tell if the character was a man or a I'm, woman. I'm flipping back through actually i think it is like intentionally ambiguous so that probably says more about yeah. me. <laughs> I, I just remember that being, yeah, 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 yeah. I just remember it being ambiguous and and not really being super clear. I like that though. That that adds like another layer to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, this person decided to become a scavenger at the end of everything because they didn't want to go back to the empire mm. or to the remnants of the empire, even though they had submitted themselves to it. And, um, you know, certainly decided to live their life differently from that point on, from that interaction. It is, you know, <laughs> let, let's just assume that nobody is Luke Skywalker <laughs> in the legend. Yeah. <laughs> it might be easier and like there is no truth to any of these rumors mm -hmm. like maybe um it, but this one is is certainly the most questionable one because like he's not on Jakku uh, during during like in in canon he's somewhere else um yeah although they do mention the compass <laughs> yeah that like, right. threw me off um, i was like wait wait a second <laughs> but i think he gets the compass in like the battlefront games I went back and like tried to think about he it. Does. Yeah. yeah. So I yeah. I think like with all of the stories, you could say that like maybe some are true at some level. Like at some level, like this story is true and that this person went through these things. But like seeing Luke tearing things out of the sky and like this person being Luke Skywalker and all that, I think, you know, gets added on and it sometimes stories kind of evolve and take on a mind of their own and I think this one definitely demonstrates that yeah and it it seems to come out of like the the officer hits their head at one point during the story and you know they think maybe it's some sort of delusion yeah. or <laughs> something um it's it's unclear um I just I I I appreciate this story cuz so so you're thinking you're like okay you're in the you're in the ready story you're in you're in um kind of you know you're in the millennium turkey <laughs> and you're dealing with the you know Kenobio O's gang or something like that and that you know you're dealing with absolutely farcical interpretation of Star Wars you know with things like that in, incorporated fan theories and and also some aspects of the extended edition changes as part of like the wink wink nudge nudge don't take this too seriously like as an example ready the main character talks about the exploding death star and saying you know oh there's different footage available you know so it, it's all fake <laughs> yeah 
you know, because like there's the original trilogy and then it keeps on changing because with the extended editions, it explodes differently and things like that. So there's a there's a lot of poking fun and you go from that one to this very, very, very serious story about war and death and trying to survive and what it takes to have hope in a hopeless situation. It is it is beyond in some ways whiplash to experience both of those things in the same story and it only gets more in depth and interesting it does like it it literally (laughs) goes from poking fun at like youtube conspiracies to like this biblical story like it's so much bigger than everything yes it's very biblical Yes. yes i i love that this really sets up luke as this like mythic legend because this is what really allows you to like see the luke in the last jedi that is so burdened by like being this legend and like you really see like the toll that it's taken on him and he's like yeah i'm this legend but i've made so many mistakes and like i can't even live with it it just it makes it so much more complex I do wonder if I would have enjoyed the story as much had I read it before The Last Jedi, because I had all the benefit of hindsight, True. right? Hindsight, 2020, being able to actually see all of the parallels to The Last Jedi, being able to see the thematic elements that The Last Jedi really plugged into. I've never asked Ken this question, but I hope to at some future point. Did he get to read the script for The Last Jedi before this happened? Or was he given kind of cliff notes? Because there are things in The Last Jedi that are purposefully called out to in this book that I was like, huh. Because like Canto Bites, uh, Luke's Three Lessons, things like that. And I've never asked him that, but I probably should someday. Well, definitely on that note. So the next story is Fishing in the Deluge. And I think if any of the stories are true, it's this one because of how it informs Luke's time oh, on Octo. It's interesting. I I would I would argue that it's probably not really? true. If if yeah, yeah, I actually think that it's uh it's I mean, it's probably true on some nature, but like there's things about it that stand out and it's like he made deliberate choices to describe things in certain ways that make it fantastical. That is true. So it could be based in reality, but there are some things that I'm like, okay, what are you doing, Ken? <laughs> okay. Uh, what's interesting is, um, like, I've covered this book, like, Interview with Ken, and I, you know, did a deep dive into the myth, mythic stuff in it with... Um, Ty Black on the show so I've also covered it just from a discussion perspective because I I don't think I can stop talking about this (laughs) book but this story is the most highlighted when you look at Kindle and you can like see where people highlight and and it's the most highlighted story of the Mm -hmm. book which I totally see why Mm -hmm. it's the most on the surface feels like an experience with Dagobah and during the Star Wars book club Christopher Sean, who played Kaz in Resistance, actually said it reminded him heavily of Dagobah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it reminded me of Dagobah too, but it reminded me so much of Acto to your yep. to your point. <laughs> it literally has the three lessons embedded into it. We don't get the third one in the movie. It's actually only in the novelization. But all of the three lessons are that he, that Luke teaches Ray 
are in this story. Yes. And it's like he is Ray and his teacher is him. Yeah. <laughs> well, the reason I think that like this one seems the most real to me is mostly just because of like what Luke is taking away. So like he does get those three lessons. Um, but in the story, he learns that about the force and that there isn't really like a dark side or a light side. It made me think of when he says like to think that the if the Jedi go away, the light goes away is vanity. Like that's what this story really made me think of. That it, it's mm. something bigger than these groups that seek to control it. Um, on page 141, it says, you know, for every ebb, there's a flow. For every flow, there's an ebb. It's talking about how you can't have mm -hmm. one side without the other. And I really think that this informs a lot of the way that we see Luke in The Last Jedi and how he's talking about how the Jedi need to end. And obviously some of that does come from his own failings with Ben and then reflecting on that with like um, Obi-Wan Kenobi and all of that. But I, I think that he's starting to get that this is bigger than the Jedi. Like the force isn't just something that certain sorts of people get to control. Yeah, like the Jedi. And that that there is there is a, the force will exist whether the Jedi exist or yes. not. And people who who choose to wield it will exist whether the Jedi exist or not or whether the Sith exist. It's beyond it's beyond binary. And that's actually one of the most important themes from a in-universe Star Wars theme that uh, I took away from the book and how fundamentally it changed my perspective of Star Wars is that sometimes we are tricked into believing that there are only two paths with Star Wars. Mm -hmm. There is only the light or the dark. And the truth is, somewhere in the middle because there is no light without dark and there is no dark without light and to think that they are separate is a fallacy in and of itself yes the idea that you're actually just riding the wave you're riding the tide you exist to go from point a to point b and accomplish your goal whatever that goal is, is the point. You're going to go on your journey and the tide will assist you. And yes, maybe you can use, use the tide to your advantage, but you can't go against the whole tide. And the tide being another analogy for the yes, force. Yes, the tide, <laughs> yes. There, there is no like control. I think at some point in the story, Luke is told like the only like she doesn't say like dark side or evil, but like the only evil is like seeking to have control over the tide. Like you have to let it like wash over. You have to let it push and pull you. And something interesting that I think the story does is you see not only does that rub off on Luke, but then Luke's, you know, creativity with how he uses the force and how he uses the tide mm -hmm. um, rubs off on uh, the main character in this part of the story. And she's able to kind of view her life in a different way. I thought that was just so amazing. And the story did make me sad about Ben Solo. Cause I'm like, man, if anybody could have helped him, it might've been Luke, but it just didn't happen. 
So what ha- what happens in the story? Like this 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 is one of the, the this and iDroid really really yeah messed me. Oh, up. Oh yeah, I I think like <laughs> fishing in the day um, like really hit me. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it it hits a lot of people, and it hit me too. But I joined yeah, it hit me in a definitely. different way. So, I I um feel like there's there's so much more that maybe people just kind of miss on appearances with iDroid. But um with this, he is holding. So he's he's on this journey to prove his worth, basically, uh, to the village and to learn the ways of the force from from the village elders for because he's looking for different i don't know different lenses to view the force and that's actually quite a good thing that we see that happen in the story and it's it that's literally what he's doing this whole time is like in these stories we see him trying to explore the force in different ways Mm -hmm. and i i really appreciate that because that's to say that like you know going to the temple and being trained in the temple is maybe not the only way to experience and understand the truth is that there the truth that you can exist within the force itself without necessarily having to be dark or light yeah i i think interesting it, it really like challenged um the jedi's notion because you know like the jedi want to grab you like as young as possible like that was one of the problems with anakin you know he mm-hmm. was too old and in this like they literally say that they won't train anybody in the tide until they know that like they're ready and like they know that they can handle it mm-hmm. and i thought that was such a big deal because you know, framing the Jedi in this way, and I'm kind of hoping that we're going to see a little bit of that in, like, the High Republic, you know, they had a lot of problems. Like, they were really getting very dogmatic, and when you grow up and the only mm-hmm. thing you know is the Jedi Temple, like, of course, like, seeking these other things out or, like, you know, you only know the light side and the dark side. You don't really see any of the other, these other paths because you were never given the chance to. Well, it's like what they say is one of the things that can change people's, you know, have have people have compassion and reduce uh, their cultural exclusion is have people travel, mm-hmm. you know, and like if you travel and you experience another culture and you live in that other culture for a while, you understand that the world is bigger than just you and your way of thinking. And maybe your way of thinking is one way of doing things, but it may not be everybody's way of doing things. And that opens up opportunities for conversation about, hey, maybe there are different approaches and different things. But what I wanted to say was when he's on his journey, you know, with his wind striker, I think they're called. Oh, uh, wind truster. Wind truster, yeah, wind truster. Which wind also is a really interesting concept. Yeah, like they, 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 they float and they never land. Mm-hmm. That's another thing, and they never land unless you need them to, basically. And they can stay in the air and fish, and they have kind of this endless supply of energy. The way they um, feel the push and pull, and they ride the drafts. It's very much another metaphor for the force. Yes. And so we have we have Luke who faces off against the Marlin, the golden Marlin that he has to uh, try to spearfish. And he has a kilometer long spearfishing pole. Mm -hmm. 
that in and of itself sh- tells me that this is fantastic. Oh yeah. <laughs> a, kilom- a kilometer is like a thousand feet or a thousand well, yards. Well, even like the um the size of the fish really reminded me of like old fishing stories where the size of the fish gets bigger and bigger and bigger every time. <laughs> 80 kilogram yeah. <laughs> marlin. Uh so what's really interesting so in this story i i very much view luke as ray and i very much view um his companion along the trip as luke and he pinpoints this marlin this golden marlin this thing that that he's been looking for to try and get and stabs it right between like right along his face and into his like a side of his face basically and i'm like that is ben solo yeah (laughs) and he lets him go so like if we're thinking about ray and all of this and also the kilometer long like there's there's really interesting things happening where it's like is this a metaphor for luke force projecting and like letting ben go and be angry like is this ray and how uh, ben is marked at the end of TFA. Like, there's there's things that are happening in the story to say, you know, if it's fate, I'll come across him again. That's so interesting. I you hadn't know? thought about it's, it's really interesting. I hadn't thought about the metaphor with like the force projection thing. That's that's really interesting. <laughs> yeah, and I I I don't know that there's a wrong way to interpret no. The story. It's just how you want to interpret it and what you want to take home from it. Well, and it's like you said, like reading it after The Last Jedi, like with the hindsight, like obviously that's going to lead you to draw different conclusions. If you were to read this, like maybe without the aid of like certain other books, like it's probably going to hit differently. Like I'm reading the 2015 Vader right now. So like iDroid hit a little bit differently for me because I was reading that. And I think that's what's so interesting about it um is that like because of uh triple zero and bt no actually um but we'll talk about that um but i i think like this book is so dependent on like where your headspace is and like what you've consumed and what you're currently consuming that like you're right there is no wrong way to read it and like if i were to read this book like you know six months from now a year from now i'm probably gonna see things differently again because it's just so much bigger than what's just on the page yeah and I think that revisiting it too uh and having conversations about it because it's a really great conversation starter too to say like hey you've read it you've read it how (laughs) did you view this story you know why was this story important why was it important that a droid told the next story yeah why was that important why was you know let's talk about that let's get into iDroid because the story like the, I, oh, I th- I threw the I threw my phone down. I like cried. <laughs> oh my I God. just the, I, the it, idea it, of this story, hmm. just in general, like being passed down from droid to droid to droid, is so fascinating to me. First and foremost, I droid is not about a droid, in my opinion. Okay, and and that's 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 very interesting to think. And and again, this is a repetitive theme that 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 we get right so i'm gonna read the first sentence paragraph right so we droids think in binary ones and zeros on and off yes and no 
This gives us clarity, makes us happy. Things are either real or not real, known or unknown. Thinking individual is either an organic or a droid. Simple, right? At least most of the time. Okay. So we just had a conversation about the tie mm-hmm. and it being, hey, you're not actually in the swell of the tide or the valley of the tide. You are in both. You're in both sim- simultaneously. And the point of this story is fully ethical redemption and that you are neither light nor dark you were just trying to navigate your way through the light and the dark of the oh, universe. Oh, and like the machine is the is typically like the darkness coded and the organic is the light coded. Is that kind of Um yes I, I've, and I've no. Seen, well, like I've seen that like a lot of the times people talk about like the empire and it's so cold and lifeness and like machine and organic. Mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm, like that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. And like, you know, you might be predisposed to be a certain way because you have been built as a machine. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's kind of one of the assumptions. But, uh, you know, this this gets this gets a little deep. Okay. okay. (laughs) So you start out and you have Zeta, who is uh, who is just a basically a construction droid. She and they do specify gender in this one, which is really interesting. Zeta is a three by three by three construction droid. So basically, you know, a cube. Yeah. <laughs> like a of Wally. A, of, of, of a droid. <laughs> like Wally. Yeah. And she has treads. She has a friend. In her spare time, she whittles. She creates statues of things with her, with different um arm appendages that she puts on to create things out of stumps and rocks and things like that she's an artist Mm -hmm. and there's oh there's so many metaphors in this story (laughs) she's captured she's captured by slavers so she is made a slave and then brought to a place called the gem where Lady Iki and Kuliaki, Lord Kuliaki, and they are the the droids that are you know brought to this planet um, are basically sold into slavery to dig into the mines that exist uh, under you know on the planet below because the gem is a space station basically up in the sky and and. The lords and ladies of the gem uh, fancy themselves, you know, in their ability to think past the moralistic, you know, they're basically neoliberals. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Like, they're like, we will do what we need to do so that we can, you know, have art and science and, you know, exist in this perfect version of society let alone the fact that they are mining the planet below for something called tear opals that they trade for everything that they need using sentient and sentient organic and non-organic life to do Mm -hmm. so the gem or the planet below in the mines being clouded and mysterious and covered in the dark side this is literally like 
a metaphor for the old republic or for society in general and how we use war and the dark side, mining being the dark side, a dark side metaphor, how we strip things from planets for use for war or for, you know, to create fear and tears, tear opals, like it's, it's very unsurface, but how they describe the planet as you land onto it is how Yoda describes the dark side clouding everything. We have two versions of people that are convincing these droids that what they are doing is the right. We have Lord Kuliaki, who's like, you're doing this in service so that we can live and prosper and give science to ourselves and create art. Isn't it magical and wonderful? And then you have Lady Kiki, who says, I don't care what you want. You're going to serve and cause this to happen. It is essentially what the Jedi and the Sith used to do. It's like the Jedi are like, this is the right way to go to war is the Mm -hmm. right thing to do. And it's justified so that we can have a good society. And the Sith are like, I don't care if you want to go to war. I'm going to make you suffer and you're going to do it anyways. And you're going to be trapped in a maze of pain to do it, but I'm going to still get at what I want. Both equal the same results. Which is literally the Clone Wars. <laughs> yeah. But I kind of questioned him on this because our 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 heroine Zeta is a is a is a fallen hero. Zeta is implanted with a ch- control chip that she cannot remove and forces the dark thoughts. And there are so many amazing, like, like literally. Okay. So, so like, as an example, this is Kluliaki's speech. Do not think of yourself as sacrifices or slaves. Rather, I urge you to think of yourself as construction material for the glory of real civilization. How can philosophers, artists, and great lords and ladies be bound by laws made by those with no vision? How can new ideas come to brilliant minds that are confined by petty rules of, or you shall not, just as we must crush and grind up base ore to extract our precious tear opals embedded in it we must also be willing to crush and grind up lesser creatures to extract more purified existence for higher minds your work and your willing submission will require are are required to free us to live and think in comfort delivering truly novel ideas and spiritual insights to the galaxy that's the lord who's like i am the I am like the Jedi. I have a justification where I'm like the Republic. I have a justification for doing this. But Lord Iki's like, I don't care what, uh, why you bother with speeches. It never works anyways. And it's so funny because it's like, you know, he's putting all of this justification into it. And like, you're right. Like the, the outcome's going to be the same. And like literally on the next page, you get Lady Iki talking about like, oh, like, don't you consider yourself lucky to have like this expensive override chip that's basically going to take your free will away? Like, it's so like, yeah, it's easier that way. And, and, you know, to call to the interview with, um, with Ken Liu. So this, this moment where Zeta gets the chip, I'm like, this chip is like, 
you know, a dark side user falling to the to the dark side, isn't it? Like Anakin, and he's like, or like Kylo. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! And I'm like, like at that moment because you know we hadn't seen the rise of Skywalker, I was like, a justification <laughs> because you know. In many times, you know, you and I and, and people of our ilk who think about these things these ways are like, dark side users don't freaking have a choice. Yeah. They don't have a choice. They're victims of circumstance in many, many ways. And we should have pity on them and hope that we have compassion for these people when, when the time comes. And like, I, I mean, I, I'm going to go on, but this story shows us that. Yeah. It's... What really strikes me with, like, that kind of thing is when, like, they install this chip and, like, the whole point of it is I want you to see exactly how you're being changed but unable to do a thing to resist. Learned, Learned helplessness. helplessness. Yes. Like, that to me yes, is Because so... as, a, oh. as a dark side user, you want to escape. You see the light. You want to escape. You want to try to get out of this, but you have no idea how, and it's a maze of pain. That is the words that we, that Ken and I kept on throwing around. We're like, this is a maze of pain that they have been built into that they can't get out of. And that maze metaphor comes out mm-hmm. a lot in Star Wars. And that, that dark side users are like literally trapped. That, like that think about really, Maul yeah, being Maul, Sisyphus, um, Darth Vader, you know, especially like Darth Vader being encased Darth Vader. in his pain, literally. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah. So like, so we have this, we have this um, chosen one, mm-hmm. right? And Zeta not only becomes an, uh, an enforcer, which is what they call them, which keeps the other droids in, in line and mining the tear opals, etc., and wearing themselves down. But so enforcers, force users, enforcers. Mm. So Zeta is the best of them, <sighs> the best enforcer. She leans into it. She is the chosen one. Oh, and this is where I saw so many parallels. Oh my God. So this is where I saw so many parallels with not only Anakin, and it leaned into my like, um, you know, reverse Anadala mm-hmm. that Ben and Anakin were were of the same story. Like he's continuing what Anakin was doing mm-hmm. um, because it is the same story. Like, you know, coming back from that. Yeah. And what we have that change that happens is we have R2-D2 show up on the planet as a droid that is being sold into slavery on the planet. And enter Luke Skywalker. <laughs> Luke shows up as a uh, C-3PO looking droid that looks bloated or like the armor's not quite correct. It, he looks weird. And um, he shows up as, uh, you know, somebody who volunteers to become a slave mm-hmm. to try and rescue R2-D2. Because we know Luke oh, of course, rescue yes. R2-D2 wherever he went. Um, oh, gosh. There's so many interesting, well, there's like, so many interesting everything things about, that are happening in like, the story. Everything about Luke, the second he's introduced, just, like, confuses Zeta to no end. She's just like, why... Yeah. Ha- yeah it it makes her well it makes her think like suddenly things are different 
Yeah. And Luke speaks to her in binary. Mm. Why is that important? Ah. It is it is the old, <laughs> the way. old way. It is the language of the maker. Ah. <laughs> it's the the language of the maker. Oh my gosh. Right? Yeah. And so you get a you get a feeling of like, you know, you know, is Luke like something like the cosmic force in a meta perspective? You know, mm-hmm. speaking directly to that person through their actions. And Luke uses his robot hand to action things and that that makes Zeta feel safe because there's this there's this uh familiarity with the fact that Luke although pretending to be a robot actually does have a piece of him that is robot yeah which is interesting because I've seen people make the like parallel that like Luke's robot hand is like his like his dark side like it's carrying a bit of Vader with him um, because Vader is so mechanical. Mm. And I, I kind of like seeing that flipped a little bit here because it's just part of him. Yeah. I actually view it very differently in the story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I actually view it like Luke is kind of like the cosmic force and the hand is literally his... Because everybody in the mind at that point is a robot, mm-hmm. right? So everybody living in the mind is uh, the galaxy. Because remember, the entire planet is the galaxy clouded by the right. dark side. If we use Yoda's language, which is directly referenced from a language perspective, it's the exact words. Um the hand itself is the influence. It's like who is taking action, who is an instrument of the force, basically, oh. in the plane of existence. Yeah. Who is this force adept, right? Mm-hmm. And the hand itself is what um, reminds Zeta of her, maybe not humanity, but her... If this droid can do it, why can't yeah, I? Like who she was before, like she was lost. Yeah. yeah, and that's the exact same as like Return of the Jedi. Yeah, right? exactly. The hand is, and it, it's yeah. if you so like the way I took it was kind of like more of a step down, um, not quite so cosmic level. But I, I'm reading the the 2015 Vader. I actually just finished it um, the day we're recording, and that has a really big emphasis on Vader being put back together. Like he was a machine. There's a whole side story with Mm -hmm. these folks who have had these mechanical upgrades done to them. Like they are like the next evolution of a force user or a Jedi. Like they're not, they're not force users, but they're trying to be like, they could be Palpatine's new apprentice. And there was a scene where Vader is like within himself, like he, his robot body basically has been like turned against him. So he's within his mind and you see like his body being destroyed and him feeling like, you know, he's killed himself and you see him like chained to the table Mm -hmm. where he became like this robot thing. And it really tied in for me with this because when Zeta sees that Luke is both a machine and a man, it like really throws her because she's like, wait a second, like how how is this possible? Mm-hmm. Like how can you be both a machine and a man? And even at the end of it, you know, she's like, he wasn't just a great man. He was also a great droid. 
And, and I think there's something in there about tying in these two aspects of yourself that like with Anakin, you know, there's always yeah. that question was like, was he becoming too much of a machine? Yeah, there's there's two he's he's more machine yeah. now than <laughs> you know? man. Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? Mm. Like he can't possibly be a good man anymore. And like that's questioned in Return of the Jedi, you know, he's he you know, the good the good man that was my father. I want to be a Jedi like yeah. him. You know. And he's still in there. Like, I, Vader is such a sad boy. <laughs> he's still in there, yeah. He's still in there. Anytime Vader is so uh, sad. Anytime like I've read a Vader comic now and it like goes into his mind, like he's always reliving like Padme and Mustafar and like his son like throwing himself down the pit instead of taking his hand and I'm just like Vader <laughs> you are so sad and it, it reminds me again of you know Zeta sees all these things happening to her but she can't stop it because of what's been done to her like she's forced to live like you said in this maze of pain even though maybe she sees the light she sees like this way out but she can't get to it yeah Absolutely. And, you know, this comes to this comes to a head where, um, you know, Zeta realizes after losing all of her appendages, because, you know, people make jokes about Star Wars, like you can't really be in Star Wars as a hero without losing an appendage. I, I don't agree personally, but there you go. Um, She loses her arms, right? These these weapons that were put on her to deal pain. And um, the droids around her want her slaughtered and killed for the fact that she had been so mean and so evil and, you know, literally threw droids into acid lakes and killed them outright when they didn't do that, what they were supposed to do. All that stuff. She was bad. And no, Luke's like, they're still good in Mm -hmm. her. I can sense it. And R2-D2's like, okay. And they start to repair her and they, and they, and they work together and they, and they heal her and turn her fully back to the light. And then they're being attacked by the other enforcers. So these force users, and they're like, how do we stop this from happening? We can't get out of here. Um, Luke's like, Oh, you know, I only came for R2D2 and Zeta's like, I have a way. And what is the way that Zeta saves everybody? She gives Luke the key, which is that there is a parody gate. Parody as in (laughs) balance. As in equality. There is a parody gate that exists in all of the Enforcer's chips that leans people towards the dark. And if you were to flip this gate would give people back the chance to choose to choose what they wanted to do and that they weren't necessarily always sliding towards the darkness and luke sits and he meditates and he flips every switch across so he's like it's like thousands upon or it's hundreds upon thousands of hundreds of thousands of switches across thousands of droids or something like that across the whole mine he flips Mm -hmm. So this is why I get the feeling like it's the cosmic force. But it's the idea that if we can actually 
give people the right back to choose and that the slide to the darkness isn't necessarily always assumed that people naturally find balance within themselves and they will find that third path for themselves i think that's something that sometimes it feels like star wars is like that is what it's trying to tell us like i think of like um dooku jedi lost um with that amazing mantra in there yeah um, turning, turn, you know, yeah, yeah, turning towards the I light, towards the finding light. that balance. Um, even with Mortis, I think there's a balance element to it. Um, it, it is such a shame that we didn't get to see that culminate in the Rise of Skywalker. But there is so much out there in like so many other books where you can see that like this is what Star Wars is trying to tell you that like you can have a choice like if you can get back to that point where you have the choice like it's gonna be okay like it's gonna balance itself out most stories that deal with a theoretical binary always have a third path so think about um the middle way in a way mm -hmm. the think about um this is a good comparison dark crystal oh yes and the resolution of the dark crystal movie so you have the Skeksis and the Ursigs. They, but they combine together to create a different version of themselves that is together. Yeah. It is a third way that it's not just eliminating one or the other, because if they eliminate one side of themselves, the other side also dies. The truth is that you have to balance and be somewhere in the middle. And that's reflected in the symbolism throughout the Dark Crystal and especially um, Age of Rebellion. Mm-hmm the the triangle that is everywhere in the symbolism that they pull in in star wars it's more complicated because it says it's a binary but it's never meant to you to assume it should be binary right and i think that's gotten lost and they don't tell you that because yeah. this is a discovery <laughs> this is a discovery for you you have to discover it because one thing that George and Dave Filoni always talk about is that you should be able to see it in the story. Unfortunately, people are not used to thinking about things in this alternative, you know, uh, high, like different path thinking, unless you come from an Eastern philosophy perspective in, in, in the Western spiritual, in Western spiritualism specifically, there's only two paths. You're either bad or you're good. There is this binary. So I, I think they give their audience maybe a little bit too much credit. But the Return of the Jedi is that. Yeah, the Return exactly. of the Jedi is that. You know, kill Vader or join him. No, I'm not going to kill Vader. I'm going to do my own thing. It is it, it is all throughout Star Wars. I've talked about it a lot on my own show, <laughs> but it is it is the transcendent element that we were missing in the rise of skywalker the idea that there is an alternative way to get what we need and what we want and that no one in society and that exists and lives in the world can be purely selfless you have to have some selfishness to live and that the balance is understanding that you're trying to do more good than evil See, it's so interesting to me because, like, to me, like, the the end-all be-all, like, whenever you're building and building and building to, like, the big confrontation, 
to me, like, it's always going to be, well, they have to figure out to do something else. Like, I think about, like, Avatar The Last Airbender. It was always, like, mm-hmm. well, he's going to kill you or you have to kill him. Mm-hmm. He finds a different way. I love books. I read a lot of YA. More often than not, like, when you get to the final thing, it's them realizing that, like, no, it doesn't have to be like this way that you've like always thought like there is another mm-hmm. way so like to me when it came to like star wars and like seeing that luke like had that forgiveness i was like yes this is exactly what i want and so it is a shame like with rise of skywalker like i was hoping that you would see that again because like that is the point um and it is really interesting that it, it kind of gets lost in there it is the transcendent yeah. meaning that we were seeking and it feels so empty when you don't achieve it i was hoping for something along the lines of like compassion for sheev right because sheev palpatine i was hoping for something along those lines where he was healed and he helped them heal the galaxy mm-hmm. that's what i was hoping for well even if you like, i felt that was down, entirely on like brand um Hill. like harry potter you don't necessarily get like a redeemed voldemort but you do get to see like a little bit of that compassion because you see where he came from and then you see what he's become and you realize that like you know yeah he was and, horrible and, but and harry chooses pity. not to kill, kill yeah him. yeah there's pity and there's compassion yeah no absolutely and i i do think that star wars and uh western storytelling could push that hope punk and transcendent version of how to find the balance in ourselves and thus bring that balance to our society. That is the elixir. That has always been the elixir. Mm -hmm. And they could really, really push it. But they didn't in The Rise of Skywalker, which is why I've gone on and on and on and on about why the myth (laughs) is broken in this particular circumstance. Just go and watch Strange Magic. It heals the myth. It's literally the outcome of Strange Magic. It's literally, Strange Magic is what what we expected from the rise of Skywalker and we didn't get. Yeah. And it is similar to what we are getting, you know, in this story. And this was the story seeing all these parallels in the same language being used in the, and the, and the pers- POV of a dark side user, especially because you get very much Vizeta's POV about how trapped she is and how she, she wished she could be different, but she just kind of leans into it to survive. Mm. Like that is, it's so fundamentally important to understand that dark side users should be pitied. Yes. Like that, that is the end all be all. Like when I hear people say like, how could you sympathize with this horrible whatever? And I'm like, but that's the point. Like you're supposed to, that something that in is there the is supposed to resonate with you. You're supposed to feel for this individual. Like there are no ultimate yes. evil villains. Like, I don't even know if I could name one that's like beyond redemption, I guess, except for Palpatine. <laughs> because he never got it and it's all it's all brought to a climax again and reiterated in you know the idea that we have to look beyond the binary between ones and zeros yeah on and off yes and no like that's the first line of this story and then it's reiterated at the end with you know i know a deeper truth luke skywalker is not nearly merely a great man but also partially at least a great droid yeah we are beyond binary. We are beyond being a droid or a human. We are both. It's like, it, it's exactly Star Wars. Like this, this is the quintessential Star yes. Wars. <laughs> yes, this is, 
this is why I freaked out. This is why yes. I freaked out. Like I was like, I need to speak with the author of the, why does this story exist? Yes. yes. And this, this book is fundamental to me, you know, changing, not changing, but really solidifying things that I had always known, mm -hmm. but giving me words to talk about them as I thought about the concepts presented in the book. This book does take a step down. I think uh, a breather section. Um, and we get to learn a little bit yes. about a flea. After such a heady, <laughs> a heady story. Yes, we go way, way down in yeah. scale for sure. <laughs> so what is Lugborious? Lugborious? Lugubrious moat. Um, the flea that secretly yeah. controls Luke Skywalker is the reason why he is the way that he is. Um, I, yes. I think the story... It really like harkened back to the first one for me. Like it brought that humor back in. It kind of brought back in like that meta take, I think, on the fandom. Uh, the biggest thing I got out of it was that mm -hmm. like it was easier for people to believe like this type of story than like in the force. Like you see that kind of like with Han Solo and even um, Rogue One, like the force isn't really like, yeah. a thing. Um, and so I, I kind of liked that it brought that lightness back into it. I don't know. Lugubrious Moat doesn't really know. It's 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 interesting, but Lugubrious Moat is like, how did that happen? I don't understand. So. Yeah. It's it's from Lugubrious's perspective, which again is another female character mm -hmm. who's telling the story. The story is being told by Gokulu, who's who is a male character on the ship of Lugubrious Moat, who is a female flea who lives on a Kowakian oh, monkey not lizard just a in the jungle. Kowakian monkey lizard. The salacious bee crumbs. Yes. The the one that we are so familiar. <laughs> and it's basically the tale of Luke uh, from Return of the Jedi and what happens in Jabba's palace. So pretty much from when, um, you know, Leia in her bounty hunter garb mm. shows up and it's captured, all of that. And she, he, she, the Gubrius mode actually jumps onto Leia for a little while and loves Leia. Like Leia's <laughs> got a brain on her. She's smart. And then eventually, um, you know, Leia asks Lugubrious for help and jumps on to Luke to help out Luke. It really and, um, does feel like the, yeah. the playing Star Wars. Like I have my toys yeah. and I think Leia's cool and I'm going to control Luke now. And like it, it felt fun. Or video gaming. Yeah, video gaming. Star Wars. For sure. Video gaming. Yeah. it's So like Lugubrious literally controls Luke Skywalker by whispering in his ear and telling him things that he wants to and hear. A little ratatouille. He too. pulls his hair, bites him. Yeah, a little ratatouille. <laughs> Kind of, kind of holds onto his hair and and bites him in different ways to get it to control him to jump and and things like that. And what I love about this story is, um, it, it, it's written in such a way that uh, the vocabulary is intense. It is <laughs> like lugubrious. Yes, but I love in that there is itself. a quote in this where it's like, "Don't worry about it." Like, don't get hung up on the big words. It just matters that, like, you kind of know where the story's going. And I'm like, man, as a dyslexic child, <laughs> I would have loved to hear that in a book I was reading. Yeah, I'm actually trying to find, uh, like, a good um, a good example of one of the words. But, like, some of these words I had to look up 
And I talked with Ken about it because I, I, I do want to bring up that we we had talked about this. I'm like, this this is very thick and heavy for, um, you know, middle grade, yeah. <laughs> a, a middle grade novel. And you're like, you know, using, you know, simulacrum in in your in your story. And, and he was like, you know, words are just toys to kids, Mm -hmm. you know, and they, if they, if they see them, they're just playthings, And we assume they can't comprehend them because they're bigger, but that's a fallacy on us. Well, especially because, you know, kids are going to pick up on the context too. Like you don't necessarily have to pronounce it or like have seen it before, but you'll kind of pick it up from like context clues. Um, which I always liked people would headcanon like, yeah. you know, Hermione is so book smart and she would read all these, you know, spells and books, but then like maybe she'd pronounce them all wrong because she's never heard them spoken aloud before. Like I, that's kind of harkened back to that for me. Absolutely. And, you know, I like this story too, because it is a nice refresher, but it also, you know, gives us the feeling of when I was a kid I would play in my backyard and growing up in Canada means like I would have four feet of snow regularly and automatically my backyard would become haunt. (laughs) And, you know, and, and maybe, maybe this is kind of written from an idea of like, well, we're all kind of playing Luke Skywalker too. Mm -hmm. And Luke Skywalker really isn't, you know, he's kind of an empty shell in the story I mean, because he uh, he, he's, he's not like very insert, smart he's like a self-insert character yeah. like this is a thing that ya did yes. a lot where like their main character was kind of like the same base coat every time so you could very easily put yourself into the story yes yeah and and so like it's 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 really hearkening to that kind of way of thinking about star wars by which we have inserted ourselves into the story and have experienced it or we experience it through the eyes of a main character in play or in uh video games and in in some ways it's very video gamey like she's literally like bite right bite left (laughs) you know punch kick like you know as she as she fights the the um uh the rancor in Jabba's palace, Mm -hmm. you know, and then goes through all the motions of what has happened on Tatooine. And it, it just, it reminds us that it's supposed to be play. Mm -hmm. It's supposed to be fun. Yeah. It's, it's not like it's, it's just as important as like you want it to be. Even, even a small hero can be still a hero. Yeah, exactly. Like you don't have to, yes. you don't have to sweat the small stuff. You don't have to get hung up on things. Like it's just fun. Yes, exactly. And it's like, and and there's a little bit of reminding at the end, like, don't spoil the magic for those people that are enjoying things. Uh, Lugubrious has a conversation with Leia, kind of at the end of the story, and is like, don't tell him mm-hmm. that. I wasn't the force. Yeah. Because the magic is what's important. Well, and again, that that goes back to... That experience of the magic is what was important. Yeah, and that goes back again to like that first story where it's like, we don't have to correct them. Like, that's not really what matters kind of thing. Yes, exactly. And, And also, 
you know, I hope you learn how to trust yourself yes. too a little bit and be your own hero. There's a little bit of that too. Yeah. But I mean, in general, it's a fun story. It is a fun story. It wasn't my favorite one. I think it was just because it was really actiony. My my brain kind of glazes over when it's like fight scenes. Um, but it is fun. And I think it was a good way to like, it took you out of that like really deep story and kind of was like, all right, let's just like have some fun for a minute. Because then you go into the next one and it's, again, very big. Like it's even called Big Inside because it's it's just this huge idea and this huge like galaxy spanning type of story yes yes <laughs> it's so this one this one is also like oh god how did you how did you break this down See, and, and come like, up and with like, this, this stuff, is the thing this one is so weird it is so weird they're like in this space slug that is literally like a galaxy we have mist weavers and- and Exogorth. And Exogorth, yes. Exactly what we get in Empire Strikes yes. Back. But like, here's yeah. the thing. I also think that this story has some okay. truth to it. Like, it, yeah. it's it, it's been exaggerated, I think. I think there are some things that like maybe is like a little bit mystical, but I still think that maybe there's something to this story. Like, so. We've talked about un we haven't really talked about unreliable narrators right. and how much I love them. And like I'm listening to Dr. Afra at this moment. I've got an arc version of it, so I'm listening to that and Dr. Afra herself is an unreliable mm-hmm. narrator because she views herself in a very different lens than the story itself necessarily tells. Mm-hmm. The truth comes out in the end. But, you know, the person telling the story, you're like, okay, so if this was transferred, like, for iDroid, from droid to droid to droid, like, there shouldn't be much degradation in the story. But there is, mm. you know, how much can we trust the the Imperial officer on Jakku based on the fact that they had a head injury? Um, you know, how much can we trust the person who was in the bar with Reddy and potentially met Luke Skywalker, like who seems to be an authority figure on the, on the ship. I like unreliable narrators mm-hmm. because it allows us to have more flexibility in the truth. Well, and, it, <laughs> and because it for, to um... me, the truth is less important. Yeah. And that sets it up, you know, in the last Jedi, when we get to see, what happened between Luke and Ben from a couple of different perspectives, because you see that Luke kind of paints himself in a way, Ben paints himself in a way. And it is up to us to kind of figure out the truth and the meaning within that. Mm -hmm. And the truth is probably somewhere in the middle, much like, you know, one of the themes that is brought up consistently in this book, which is things are more likely in the middle than on any of the binary sides. Yeah, for sure. I think like the biggest takeaway out of the story for me was the weavers of the luminous mist. Like mm, they, yes. they, I want to know more about them. Are they real? What's going on? Was this like a world between worlds type of scenario? Like what's going on here? <laughs> like inside of every exogorth is a natural, uh, you know, like in into the world between worlds, and all Raylos are suddenly going to jump in to go find Ben Solo. <laughs> um, I don't know, right? 
I, the weavers of the luminous mist, which are force wielders who basically use the force to weave creations and can create things with the force. Mm-hmm. Such a cool concept. Such a cool concept. Ugh, well, so and- cool. And they call the force the mist, which is, which is the thing that binds the universe together. So they, there's parallels. We know that it is the force. And um, it's not unlike the tide. It is the tension calling it the mist. And it, it's really like... Between all things. It's, it's really drawing that parallel to like Greek mythology and things like that. There's a lot of times in books when mm-hmm. there's like a magical world and a regular world, the mist is what separates them. The mist can be manipulated. Like this one felt very mystical mm-hmm. to me. Um, and there's even like a line where it says like real magic is always knowledge. The galaxy is no- knowable and that's what makes it wondrous. Like, you know, this, whether it's real or whether it's magic, like what is so wonderful about it is that it needs to be known and that you can find the truth. Like Luke was really seeking this truth within this exogorth, within this mystical mm-hmm. mist, whatever. <laughs> mm-hmm. And 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 it's beyond actually beyond what is noble because he's there with a scientist Mm -hmm. he's picked up you know by a scientist who's or he picks up the scientist who's you know surveying a planet and and does this as part of her job and they're inside of the exogorth because they get attracted by the sparkly lights Mm -hmm. I love that idea. Like they're attracted by the sparkly lights and brought into the exogorth and then explore it. And it is very much like journey into the center of the earth. They go through these different layers. And in some ways, much like that story, they go back in time towards more and more kind of primitive versions of reality, or maybe they start out in a more primitive version and end up in a more complex version of reality, which is further on in the past. Mm -hmm. And in the reverse of that, the Mistweavers have um, woven a cocoon around themselves to protect themselves from time, to stop time for themselves. And so they move very, very slowly. And they call Luke Brightlight? Brightheart. Brightheart, yes. They call Luke Brightheart because Brightheart is meant to save the universe. Yes, he's meant to restore the beauty of the mist. The restore the beauty of the mist. Such a nice way to put that. <laughs> well, it, it's so interesting that like they talk about that they're seeing that the mist is becoming infected with rot and holes. And then when Brightheart comes mm-hmm. along, you know, oh, he's the one who's going to, you know, plug up the holes. And that to me was very reminiscent of just the chosen one like prophecy in general like Mm -hmm. how they knew that somebody was going to come and save them and like this story you get the feeling that it's happened over and over like they were lured here by the bright lights as well like it just keeps happening and that really is star wars you know we had like oh anakin's gonna save the universe oh well now luke's gonna save it now like maybe like ben and ray like something like that like it's always these you know bright spots of light coming in to like repair the damage that has been done yeah and and overall we can't hurt we we shouldn't hurt the universe in our attempt to free ourselves or to save ourselves Mm -hmm. from it right because you know it is of itself a, a unique microcosm yeah 
I like the fact that it, there's a lot of parallels to micro and macro, right? So you have this world within the world, world between worlds, <laughs> inside of the exogorth. And that, you know, the truth is more complicated than that. There are layers to every world that you live in. You yourself as a human are the host to many organisms that view it to be their world. Mm -hmm. And so we're kind of in this world within a world within we're a world, all inside the marble the in the matrix it's more <laughs> complex and black yeah exactly yes exactly we're all in these universes and it's more like r russian nesting dolls necessarily than than what um you know we assume and who are we to destroy any part of that? Well, yeah it adds like a whole other layer onto like what is the force because like when you think of how it moves and pushes and like places people in down different paths and doing different things, like who are we to it? Like if it is something that is consciously doing these things and it, it's just constantly growing and changing and the story is at once like huge and like, in, like encompassing this entire galaxy but then it's also existing just within the belly of an exogorth yes exactly and there's a there's a there's a story in like human world uh called the egg mm -hmm. and the idea is that we are all part of the same universe and we are individually all the same person experiencing every possible version of every life that we could ever live and that us working through each of these different versions is like us trying to figure out and how to exist and then once we're big enough we will raise a child of our own that will experience that same exact understanding of what it's life like to live every single human life ever to exist yeah and the idea that we are all interconnected we are all interconnected. There is no difference in the force. Mm -hmm. We are all part of the same thing. We are all in the exogorth and of the exogorth. And we are all part of the universe. And that's the point of the force because it's not, force is not something that is separate from us. The force is, the force is us. Mm -hmm. And the energy between all living things but it is all living things. So what is the difference between you and I, Shannon? Nothing. Exactly. So us by treating something as evil, well, that's part of us. Mm -hmm. So how can we kill it? It's complicated. Yeah. It, well, it's that whole reconciling with the darkness and that having that sympathy, having that compassion. Because if you can recognize yourself yeah. within that, you know, then maybe you can come back from it. Like all these, but it's not just the darkness. It's, it's the other, yeah. it's the, you know, yeah. Choosing to not kill the bad yes. in the exogorth mm -hmm. that wanted to kill you. I think this, this kind of comes to like Luke's big revelation in this. And mm -hmm. it's like, knowing that like you could sacrifice yourself for something but it's a heavier burden it's yeah it's a heavier burden to accept 
someone else's sacrifice. So these weavers of the mist are going to sacrifice themselves in order to free them and so that, you know, they can escape and they can live on. And this is something that is so hard for Luke to, like, come to terms with, especially after seeing, like, what happened to Obi-Wan. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you think about that? Because this, this kind of, like, it just, like, struck me and I couldn't quite put my finger on it. Yeah. I mean, this ties back to, you know, The Last Jedi a lot in that this could have happened in the past and it made him understand the eventual sacrifice that he had to make to choose to not kill his grandson or to not kill his nephew Mm. and try and speak with him again and apologize. Because that's what Luke does on Crate is he apologizes to Ben. He says, I'm sorry. And he doesn't allow Ben to take another life. Mm -hmm. He doesn't allow him to take another loved one's life, his father and then him. He prevents him from adding more sin to his soul. And we get that reflected in that, you know, I wish we had had that played out somehow in The Rise of Skywalker. (laughs) Him understanding that sacrifice that Luke made because it would have had a nice cyclical nature to it that like when you choose to make a sacrifice for another person sometimes it's it's a weight that the person that survives has to carry with Mm -hmm. them that would have been really interesting to see but I think it was it was thoughtful because we don't actually think about that like people living have to have to live with that sacrifice of that other person and that regret of not being able to find a different way Mm -hmm. so interesting that's something that powerful they are kind of hitting on with the aftermath series um i'm a little worried about Mm. that series um the direction that it's going we'll have to we'll have to wait and see it for the last one to come out but all of the aftermath or or, uh, um alphabet Alphabet squadron yes alphabet squadron they go hand in hand yeah (laughs) but we'll have to wait for the last one to come out before we know for sure um but all of those characters are really dealing with like why are they still alive when so many other people are dying um especially chastna chaddick that really weighs on her she's like my life is meaningless unless I die a meaningful death. And I really want to see her work through that and learn to live. Sorry, like uh, Klingon, like today is a good day to die. And if I don't die in like a warrior's death, what did it all mean kind of way? Exactly. Yeah. I, I mean, that's, I hope, I hope that's worked out in such a meaningful way because it is something that I have, called lazy yes. on my own podcast to a star wars creator yes. like a shameful person uh you know s- sacrificial death is something that is overused in in western media and media in general i i think that it can be useful i think that um it has to have the weight behind it to actually ha- have us feel yes the meaning and the in the impact i feel like the best version of it that's been done in star wars in recent years has been quill and ig11's deaths in mandalorian i feel like that was done very very well and um john favreau especially if you watch the gallery series understood the meaning of that i i don't know that it is used well in all circumstances in star wars 
it's used as a as an easy way out yeah alex and i talked about that when we talked about Shadowfall. um just it's mm-hmm. so much harder to live and it's it's so much harder to like make that choice to live and atone and like be better um and it really is mm-hmm. unfortunate because i feel like the road to like the rise of skywalker books was kind of setting that up um because that's a recurring line in a lot of star wars books um the choice to be better um and i i'm really hoping that we're gonna get to see it because i feel like you know with things like the mandalorian like things like this it feels like the creators really get it but then i get to something like alphabet squadron and i'm like "Mm, i don't know (laughs) i fear (laughs) so i don't know yeah yeah and like you know, there, there's that. There's mothers who are dead in Star Wars, loss of limbs. Like these tropes are done mm. for me. I think that they've been overused, and now they're used as a as a oh, it's Star Wars because shorthand, and that shouldn't be the way. No, it, it should. Right? Be. We 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 can't expect more, and we can expect, um, you know, especially from a fairy tale lens, that people deserve to live, or at least deserve to try. I actually think that there's an argument to be made that the Mandalorian is a, is a living atonement story. I, I think so too. I, I think it, it's definitely mm-hmm. hitting on like a very meta level, um, which is very, yeah. int- it, it's like. I, I've always said it was going to be a Trojan yeah. horse, and I was so right. I just remember sitting uh, in that, that um, panel with you and like, I was like not sold on this show. And then they started talking about it and I was like, oh interesting okay and then i watched it and i'm like okay no i like this i like where this is going <laughs> you can still hear me yeah. scream on the yeah. recording i love that i was sitting right next to you it was great <laughs> i know and ty was so mad at me so it was mad. so great though just like you're embarrassing me i was just like well i don't know you you got i don't it, know <laughs> Like, I'm very excited about mythology, okay? So when they mention the hero's journey, I'm like, yes. And the fact that you watched The Power of Myth and you've read Hero with yes. a Thousand Faces, John Favreau, yes. That's just a start. Now read The Heroine's Journey by Maureen yes, Murdoch. Yes, please. <laughs> um, yeah, so, I mean, it, this story itself has a lot to dig into. And I don't know, I, I've probably spent the least amount of time with mm-hmm. it from thinking about what it means. And that's the thing about this book is like, like, I continuously think about these stories because they're, they're like this, it's like, you know, this framework by which I can view Star Wars. And it's very easy for me to show them to people and be like, this is Star Wars for mm-hmm. me. Well, and it, it's so easy to digest. I think it, you know, the format, the way that it's done, it's it's Star Wars on like the most basic level. And yet it is doing so many complex things, which I think is yes. why it hits so well. Um, I think for me, like. It's like it's the most complex cupcake that you have ever yes, exactly from a flavor perspective. And you're like, it explodes in my mouth with flavor. But it's it's like the mini cupcake. Exactly. Sauce. Yeah. It's like just this little easy thing. And yet it just did so much to you and just blew your mind. Yeah. And you're like, can I have another one? And you're like, no, nope, there's only this is one. It. Oh, wait, 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 wait. There's a mango. Oh, yeah. <laughs> for, for me, like the big thing that I got out of this book was like this 
last bit um i think it's like at the very end it's on page 420 when they talk about luke Mm -hmm. isn't here but the idea of luke brought us together from now on no matter how far apart we are from each other we'll be connected by this shared experience by this night we are all luke skywalker we uplift each other like this to me just like so star wars it spoke to me as a fan it spoke to me as somebody Mm -hmm. who's invested in this story like this is exactly like you think about celebration yes. and like the, the reason we all come together and that meta of that is is what that line is saying is that you know we can all find the themes of star wars and maybe it's worth it to just stop arguing with each other about everything i i mean everybody's gonna have a different story about star wars of their version of star wars kind of depends on what they consume of star wars and and how they view it through their own personal lens so what is the point in arguing with which, them which about again it? is exactly unfortunately, what this book is telling us again <laughs> yeah unfortunately there are some people out there on the internet that just want to get stuff wrong yeah. <laughs> too and you're like you didn't even watch it like you don't even like that literally didn't even happen like <laughs> just you know like yeah uh but I'm- yeah so i mean yeah, it's not really worth it. Your version of Star Wars is completely valid. And, you know, that's what I hear a lot from uh, older fans, too, who have been around since, you know, Star Wars, the first version came mm-hmm. out uh 1977. And they're like, you know, everybody's got their own version of Star Wars. So, like, what are you going to argue with the billions of people that have their own version of Star Wars? You can't possibly. All you can do is and that's what i try to do is try to find the common themes and the archetypes and the mythology behind it because it means something to people or it wouldn't have had this stain power what really matters is that it's connected us all and it all means Mm -hmm. something to us you know like i'm in like nashville and you're in canada and like i met alex through all this like it it connected us all together in this way and like that's what's mm-hmm. important not you know like all on... of us talking about luke skywalker yeah, it, it, well and the rest it of it doesn't matter yeah. if luke skywalker actually did this thing or if he just milked a sea cow you know like what matters is that we all connected <laughs> with it yeah and 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 the joy that we get from mm-hmm. it that to me is like so important but also what we decide to take home from us in that we are all Luke Skywalker. Yes. And that meaning of that is important. I, it reminds me of that of that story um, that just came out recently of that little kid that was protecting his younger sister. Mm-hmm. And this is a Marvel story, but it, it's still applicable. You know, uh, his he protected his little sister and was mauled by a dog protecting her. And he was like, I thought of Captain America. Mm. And I thought, what would Captain America do? And I wouldn't let that dog get to my little sister. Yeah. And it's like, well, what do we take home from Star Wars with us? Because that's the point. This was all. George wanted to give kids a framework by which to view the reality and give them hope and give them, give them you know, something to take home with them. And he, even up to the gallery episode, Dave Filoni talking about why Star Wars is important. And, and, and George, every time he hangs up the phone with him, is like, remember to make it for them and remember yes. to give them hope because they need it. Yes. And that's what we get out of this book in such a fundamental way. 
as important as the original trilogy, as important as the cartoons that Dave Filoni and George Lucas told, in my opinion. Yeah, 100%. And it just, it ties in beautifully to the end of The Last Jedi with Broom Boy. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, Broom Boy is Luke Skywalker in that moment. Like, it it didn't matter if, like, he had the Force. It didn't matter, like, anything like that. All that mattered was that he was a kid inspired by the hope that was given to him. And like he's looking up at the Absolutely. stars. Like we are all Broom Boy and we are all Luke Skywalker. Exactly. Ugh. So good. Yeah. Um, so it's the best. So you have um some themes listed here. Um, do you wanna hit on Yeah, and I I limited myself to three because, you know, but like from a meta perspective, because the story does speak on so many levels, like you're, you know, once you've listened to this, if you haven't read it and you're like, ah, I should probably check it out. Listen, you know, go and go and check the audiobook. January Lavoie (laughs) does a great job if you're not into the reading, but the reading that is amazing because you also get these little sneaky quotes and like cool illustrations Mm -hmm. and it's, it's written so well, but you know, Fuzzy is sometimes better with Star Wars and like Martin, Matt Martin with the story group has tweeted several times. He's like, what does canon matter? I'm like, that's literally your job, dude. Um, But it's more the interconnected themes. And I wish actually that they would tell multiple versions of the same story and get people over whatever hangups on canon that they have. Mm -hmm. Tell six versions of the same story and say they're all true. Yeah. Just piss everybody off. That would like make me so happy. Be like, we can't tell you which one is true because it happened a long, long time (laughs) ago and we don't have that record. Oh, there's six versions of the truth? Oh, Ben Solo lives? What? (laughs) Like, you know, like just do it and make everybody mad. I would love it. Um, Everyone is Luke. And, you know, we had just gone Mm -hmm. into that, so I won't drain it too much but it, it's really like what we take home from us from the story and it's the it's the friendships we make along the way it is how we share the experience of star wars too mm-hmm. right because it is all of us participating in this shared storytelling experience where we talk and we play and we exist to talk about star wars and everyone's Star Wars is different and we can't get caught up in the differences. Yeah. That's the medicine. <laughs> there's, there's no point in arguing about how Star Wars is different for people. <laughs> yes. And then from a Star Wars themes perspective that it reiterates over and over and over and over and over in the book, it, you know, the ebbs and flows of the tide, light and dark, we have to think beyond the binaries, even though that's the world that we are presented in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Beyond binary ones and zeros actually no the truth is somewhere different than that that's really really important so think about the transcendent meaning in each of these stories because that's tying into the myth that is the elixir that is what we have to bring home from a from a mythic perspective with star wars big inside the duality of that is really really important so star wars will still show you the duel it'll say you know, things are either the microcosm or the macrocosm. You can't have both, but you have to challenge that and find where they're trying to show you that third mm-hmm. way. I mean, that's kind of the point, right? It's it's trying to yes. think. <laughs> and then um, redemption for all. Yes. Forever and always. <laughs> forever and always. 
there is no permanent dark side there is no permanent light side it is it is and and these are all similar versions of the same concept that there is always a third way mm-hmm. or you don't you aren't necessarily stuck in the dark side you aren't necessarily an imperial you can change and you can grow and you can go on your own journey to become who you're truly meant to be that's what this is all about for real like and another great way that they have shown that is with Ventress's story like if any of you out there haven't read Dark Disciple you really should and you should really check out uh the stories of light and dark that's coming out because Ventress's story just man wow hits really hard (laughs) um you can always choose Dark Disciple paired with Dooku Jedi Lost is like such a good god tier yeah (laughs) yeah god tier yeah and and like I love it when the creators handle a character and understand the character Mm -hmm. and like just handle it with love like that character with love yes it 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 comes through I just and and sometimes we can't always get that no and it's a shame um but I I do think with her example like you see different people handle her story and overall it's come out very well it gives me hope for things in the future but i don't know because some things have come to the contrary (laughs) um but it's just god no one's ever really gone and you always have the choice to set yourself down on a different path like it's that is what star wars is exactly this was fun this was my this favorite. very fun. Thank you yeah. so much for talking to me, for blowing my mind. Did I? Oh, I hope so. That That's nice. I, my mind is blown. Yeah. I've like literally written a meta on Zeta. Like I've never published it, but I, mm-hmm. I wrote one on why Zeta is Anakin and, and Kylo because the parallels are there. The symbolism is there. The metaphors are all there to say this, this, this droid is not a droid. God, like now that you've like called it out, I'm like, how could you read the story and not see that this droid is Anakin? Like, it's so clear to me. Like, it's just, it's amazing. Yeah. But Anakin who saves the galaxy and, and returns it from, from evil and from, from, from being stuck in the mind under the cloud of darkness and we haven't seen that happen yet so no. it'll be interesting to see because i i i originally thought that was this this plugged into my idea of like how uh the rise of skywalker would end and it didn't end that way so i don't know i don't know what they're going to do i mean the wheel's still turning so maybe maybe we'll see it you know come to a conclusion at some point but We'll have to just wait and see for that. Yeah. So if people want to have their brains melted even more, where can they find you? Where can they listen to you, MC? (laughs) So What the Force is a very meta podcast that is produced weekly, um, comes out on Mondays. You can find it on any place that podcasts are found and also on YouTube. Some people, for some reason, love to listen to it on YouTube, (laughs) and I love them for that, Um, I guess. YouTube is a better podcast app for some people, especially if they have premium than if they have a regular podcast app, especially for some Android phones or they listen to it on their work computer or whatever. Right. Um, I love them all for that. Uh, I am also available on Twitter at WT force show. 
My personal Twitter is Marie C. Gould, G-O-U-L-D. Um, but also, What the Force is starting to publish articles. So we are expanding from a media perspective. And we wanted to talk more in a different format about uh, Star Wars from a meta perspective, but also doing reviews and deep dives into different topics and also we're bringing on different authors so that you get more Star Wars voices than just mine but um, (laughs) I think it'll be really awesome so you can also check us out at whattheforce.ca and that's actually starting the week of the 27th so next week from when this comes out I'm excited that's gonna be super cool (laughs) yeah I think it'll be good Yeah, for sure. So thank you again so much for coming on here and talking about this book with me. This was amazing. We got to do it again. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, guys, please go and check out MC. MC regularly blows my mind every week and you need to experience it because it's amazing. And go read this book. If you haven't read this book, go read this book, shouting it from the rooftops. (laughs) Thank you, Shannon. Thank you. All right. So our next episode, we're going to be covering uh, Dr. Afra, so the audio drama. I'm going to try to read some more of the comics. We'll have some more stuff to talk about with Afra, and it'll be super fun. And I'm very excited for that. As always, uh, send us your Star Wars stories if you want to be part of the show. You can find all of the links for that in the description of this episode. If you want to keep the conversation going, we are always on Twitter. You can find us at lip underscore lightsabers. I am at Ricardo Shannon. Alex is at Alex Leonis. We will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.